new episode of Full Metal RPG, episode 113. I'm your host, Brendan Carey, and today I'm joined by my friend, my partner, Richie motherfucking Buzzkill. What up, Leia? How you doing? I'm doing all right. Just, uh, it's been a long time since we've done this kind of episode, so I'm not sure we, we know how to do them anymore. <laughs> what kind of episode is that? A normal episode. episode. A normal, a normal kind episode? Of, normal episode. Has it been that long? <laughs> it's been like I, uh, a month and a half since we did a normal episode. Has it really? Holy fucking shit. All right. <laughs> It just seems like yesterday to me. We've been doing a lot of eps. That's true. You've been doing multiple eps. Many eps. <laughs> Lots of eps. All right. So uh, we got Daryl. What up, Leia? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's an exciting day. It's good to record this weekend. The house is quiet. I got new space to, to sit and record in, so I'm not just locked in my bedroom trying to hope that the kids won't wreck my recording. So it's good. It's good. I'm having a good day. Awesome, awesome. And today we have a very special guest joining us all the way from Seattle, Washington, is friend of the show, Spencer Kelty. What up, Playa? How are you doing? Hey, everyone. Glad to be here. Really excited to uh, to join in. I've been listening for a long time, so uh, thanks yeah. for having me. Long time listener, first time guest. Uh, you have a little project on Kickstarter right now, is that right? I do. So right now I've got The Bleakness on Kickstarter. It's a rules light horror RPG. It's kind of a system setting campaign all rolled into one. I'm doing that through my own publishing label, Twisted Image and Exalted Funeral. Uh, Matt's been absolutely amazing to work with and uh, we've just been uh, been doing great. We just passed our funding goal about 10 minutes ago too. So- um, Ooh, congratulations. Thanks. Nice. Congratulations. Nice. And so uh, we have kind of a special subject. We thought we'd have Spencer on to talk a little bit of OSR uh, today uh, because your project exists in, a, in an OSR type space. Is that right? Yeah. You know, I, I I try not to identify my projects by OSR these days. I think that the space is kind of the the, 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 the indie RPG space has kind of transcended the OSR label to a certain extent. So, you know, is it OSR? Yeah, it's OSR, OSR adjacent, but um, yeah, I mean, it's it's gotten to be such a huge space with so many different creators doing, you know, really different stuff that I think um, I, I think it's so much bigger than that these days. You know, if that makes any sense. See, and and that's exactly what we're here to discuss today, which is great. So, so it actually works out perfectly. Um, that's that's awesome. Uh, for a long time, I think your Instagram handle was like Kelty OSR, right? Yeah, so you know, it, it's actually really funny, and that that stems from. Uh, well, it's my Facebook handle for my for my writing. Um, it stems from Facebook's bizarre rules that I can't put a initial as my first name. <laughs> nice. So yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that, that's basically me just trying to figure out a way to do uh, to navigate Facebook's weird rules. Um, I, I, I love I love uh, Facebook's uh, totalitarian um, uh, reveal your identity to us citizen um, <laughs> algorithm. That's uh, <laughs> That's super great. That's definitely the internet I was promised. 
Um, anyway, so yeah, we have a lot to discuss today, uh, and we're very excited to get right to it. Um, let's go ahead and do some shout outs, huh? What do you guys think? You want to do yeah. some shout outs? We have had so much, uh, um, activity in our Patreon community, and we've been kind of like, uh, out doing cyberpunk characters and shit. And so we haven't had a real opportunity to shout out to some cyberpunk, uh, patron types. And so now we're going to go ahead and do it. So I'm just going to start at the top. I'm going to go ahead and read it down. Uh, I wanted to say thank you to our friend Xander who came in hot for the show. We got, uh, Mr. Tepes. Thank you so much for your pledge. We really appreciate you. Um, then we go back down to uh, our homie Patrick. Hit us up. Um, if you're ever on our Discord community, come find our friend Kirby. He's like on our Discord all the time. He came in hot. Big pledge. Um, our friend Alberto, who longtime listeners of the show will totally know Alberto. If you're a friend of ours from Instagram, you'll know Alberto, 5, five to Midnight. He's kind of trying to show up on our uh, Discord community now, too. So if you want to interact with him, come down, hang out. Um, our friend Woodfin hit us up Hell for yeah, some, uh, some Patreon love. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's one of the RBK crew. What up, Playa? Um, our, 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 our good friend Casey showed up. Uh, we haven't seen Casey in a hot minute. It's been a while. It's nice to know that we're still on Casey's radar. Hope you're doing well out there, man. Uh, our friend David hit us up on Patreon. Um, say, thank you so much. David's also very active on our Discord. So if you want to come down and rap about RPGs with David, please do. Uh, our good friend Wolf Mungus, always in our thoughts. Wolf, Wolf Mungus. Fucking, uh, you know, dude, he's, that guy, he's like a titan of the fucking Full Metal RPG cult. That guy, he's just like, he's like, he's like, he's like cult is number one. You know what I'm saying? First among equals. Uh, he, he upped his pledge. Just gonna, just, just throwing it out there. He just, he's just, dinked it up just a little bit um our friend uh paul who was on the show uh when we were doing our, our characters and stuff at this point i think all of our uh hosts uh pledge the show we just saw you know it's like we all it's all just like a thing that we do because again you know there's a lot that needs to get done around the show and we can't just if, if we're going to ask for altruism from others then we should do altruism ourselves and like we we believe in the show just as much as anybody who pledges to the show believes in it so um thank you to uh uh paul for 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 pledging uh my good friend brenton has pledged and i think that we might have covered this one before does this sound familiar to you rbk what do you think does this sound familiar i don't know i mean brenton it's always good friend, to shout out brenton <laughs> yeah i love brenton and dude thank you so much for pledging the show and then um we have our friend uh, Drew Bagley uh, uh, went ahead and pledged the show, and you might you might know him from Instagram. He is actually building a RPG that sounds kind of like Star Trek based, Star Trek adjacent, and he actually wrote me a really uh, I thought like touching note about his relationship to the show, and I actually wanted to read it today on the show, but it is lost in some strange uh place in the internet like i can't find it via patreon so i'm sure he sent it via patreon but i can't find it via patreon mm. so i don't know where that note went and maybe if um i find it we'll share it with you uh next time so those are all our new patrons thank you so much for making this show possible if you are on discord please come and join us on discord where we can go ahead and up your privileges so you can get all the stuff that patrons get on discord and if you're just a listener and you're looking for a cool RPG community where you can come hang out with like-minded people, talk about obscure games, drop hot takes, 
mix it up a little bit, maybe even find a game with some new friends, then find us on Discord. We have links in FullMotherRPG.com on our link tree and on our Facebook page. It's very easy to get an invite, very easy to get onto that incredibly supportive and communicative um, community. So before we move on to the black hole, and I know everybody is just super stoked to hear the black hole, right? Uh, I thought I'd read some uh, some iTunes reviews. What do you guys think? You guys oh, want to hear some iTunes of reviews? course. I'm always up for iTunes reviews. Good, because, bad, or indifferent. Asked, like. <laughs> exactly. We asked for some <laughs> iTunes reviews, and we got some. You know, and it's nice to get the reviews. I like, I like getting reviews. Um, even the bad ones. Even the bad ones. The bad ones are also good ones, ironically, some strangely. All right, so... Uh, March 16th, our friend Slow Travel left a five-star review mm-hmm. saying, Thank you very much. FMRPG is top-tier podcasting. No lazy filler episodes. Every episode is thoughtful and absorbing. It's like sitting in on a really substantive conversation with friends. Highly recommend. Great Discord community. Hey, so you heard it there from Slow Travel. Show up for the podcast. Stay for the Discord community. And thank you so much. Uh, thank you for, so much, Slow Travel, for your review and for your kind words. Uh, we, we really try. We really try. It means a lot that you said that. Uh, we got our good friend Haxmore. Haxmore also left us a nice five-star review. And they say, there are dozens and dozens of RPG podcasts out there that will give you, quote, five simple GMing tips, end quote, each week. FMRPG isn't one of those podcasts. If you are interested in stepping back and considering the bigger picture ideas like how society shapes games, shapes the games we play, and how the games we play reflect back that society to us, then you will find lots of thoughtful discussion here. It isn't all heavy philosophical and critical discussion, though. The hosts keep it light and enjoy talking about their favorite hobby together. And let me tell you that, oh, that's a huge confirmation of what it is that we're trying to do here because you know anybody who's been with us for a while knows that the show has gone through a number of sort of like incarnations like iterations you know and that's the latest one and i'm very excited i'm very excited that we're kind of like really i feel i feel like we're really communicating to people with with this uh the last one is actually goes all the way back to january 1st and it's from our friend Susie on mamory alpha and she says this is a five-star review she says if thoughtful commentary on RPG systems is too much for you, crawl back into your t- troglodyte cave and find a different podcast that your limited brain can handle. This one isn't for you. This one is great with hosts who aren't afraid to touch on subjects that need to be talked about, whether about systems or the community. And Susie, thank you so much. We love you. We love Memory Alpha. We love what Memory Alpha stands for. And the people, including Ashley, are one of our co-hosts that is on that show. So uh, we consider ourselves to be part of the Mamre Alpha community, and we're very happy to have the Mamre Alpha community be part of ours. If you listen to that show, you are always welcome here, and you're also always welcome on our Discord. So um, thank you so much for those reviews, and uh, you know, we always need more. We yes. always need more. Um, the Chuds are after our, uh, our stars. Chuds want to steal our stars. Okay, guys? So if you want to give us some stars... Go on to fucking iTunes and give us some stars and some nice words. We'll read them here, and we could really use your stars. So thank you so much to everybody and to all the patrons. And my God, you're probably fucking sick of hearing it from Brendan at this point. So let's get into the black hole. The black hole. The black hole is the ever-sucking void. It takes up all of our time, energy, and resources. It is role-playing. Greatest of hobbies. Spencer, my friend, we asked you to come on the show, and... 
you've been sitting here so patiently while I have monologued. <laughs> What's going on with you, man? What, 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 what hobby, what hobby interests are you pursuing? Yeah. So I've had a, uh, a game going now for, um, man, I think we're, I think we're almost to like eight, nine months now, which, uh, so nice, nice long game. Um, running it kind of using a kind of hacked version of LOTFP with some some other rules thrown into there. Um, just kind of running through some uh, kind of historical setting stuff. Um, what actually historical about, setting? Uh, so it's, it's kind of the standard um, like English Civil War type kind of period, 1630s into there. Um, but it's gone off the rails there. They've went into another reality at this point. So, you know, as all good campaigns do. Um, so that's been that's been really awesome. That's been my weekly game. Um, I'm actually about ready to start playing a story game uh, called Alice is Missing that nice. I've had on my shelf now for a while. Um, so I'm actually this taking is the game you play via cell phone. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. So kind of while my Kickstarter's going, I realized, man, I'm I'm just too tapped to to run a weekly game now. So I'm like, all right, let's let's do something that's a little bit lower, lower uh, maintenance. And let's let's go and play this fun story game in the meantime. So I think we're getting that started this week over over cell phone and just going to have that run uh, for the next couple of weeks. So does that game run? I, I, I think I've asked a couple of people, but I've never really heard the answer. But at least not they can remember. Does that game run where you're all in the same room and you're playing on cell phones together, or do you play it by cell phones separately and not necessarily on a game day, but just like when you can play it? Now, I, I wish I could give you a better answer than this because I haven't read the rules fully. I think it's designed to do either. Um, I get the feeling that it could be kind of one of those kind of almost party games. Um but I don't think it really matters too much. How I'm planning on doing it is kind of scheduling some times where it's like, you know, you know, Tuesdays, 7 to 8 p.m. We're just going to kind of have your phone on you, make sure you're paying attention and replying, things like that. Um, but I think it's really designed very nicely so that you can do it in different ways. I mean, it's a GM-less system, so it's not like there's one person that doesn't get to play. It's, um, you know, as long as one person has the actual game and is running through the uh, the kind of event cards... Um, it, I think it's really flexible, which is kind of what drew me to it. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. I hope that goes well. I hope that goes well. That, that game fascinates me. I don't think it's, I don't think it's a, 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 a thing I would do personally, but I th I find it fascinating because I think it's a, I think it's a new frontier in, um, yeah. in, uh, in, in like in, in, in gameplay. Uh, Daryl, man, I don't think you've had a real good opportunity to talk yet. What about you? What are you up to? So, um, lots of, life has just kind of got in my way. I'm, I'm actually crawling out of my, my big black depression of void and uh, coming back to the world. Uh, Ashley and I have been talking about doing the Iron Sworn RPG. I picked up, I started reading it. Uh, so looking forward to that. Uh, we're going to give that a run and do some reviews or live plays or, or something to, to kind of bring the world of two-player RPGs uh, and more GM-less type games to the, to the forefront. Uh, I just backed Solemn Veil because uh, literally I, it popped up in my feed and I saw a pink cover and I'm like, I got to have it. Uh, <laughs> and then I saw it was Mark Kelly and I'm like, well, I got to have it. So uh, and it comes with a lot of cool uh, Kickstarter additions. So uh, I'm definitely on board with that. I love horror games. Uh, so 
those are the two big things I got going on right now, other than rearranging and continuing to collect books. So uh, always fun. Those are always and fun pastimes. with the with the end of our COVID era in sight, the the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. I was talking with Ashley last night about writing some convention games and starting to make sure that I'm prepared so we can get back to the tables. I, I have some ideas ready to go. Yeah, so I've still got uh, five of the World of or, uh, Chronicles of Darkness uh, first edition games to run to just check off the list. So that's what I've been up to. Nice, nice. I think I'm going to take the opportunity to segue off of it because, because you know, then I won't have to go directly into explaining the um, the subject. But uh, as you said, the uh, COVID era seems to, on some level, be drawing to a close. At least its current incarnation. Which, with the advent of vaccinations, hashtag vaccinations save lives, uh, seems like we may see a uh, resurgence of the potential for in-person gaming. And I'm taking the, 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 the opportunity for in-person gaming to mean Mage the Ascension. Oh my god, look at this shit. Uh, look at that book. Oh. Oh my god, so big. Uh, oh my god. That is so that is literally has an armor rating. Yeah. <laughs> this, this thing is something uh. fucking else. Um Yeah, so this is the twentieth anniversary edition. I picked it up um from drive through and I was like uh I was just in this mood. You can ask my, my Dungeon Punks friends. I was just in this mood. I was, like, flirting with GURPS. I was, like, just wanted, like, a really crunchy, like, game that I could play that really just sink my teeth into and get into, like, a bunch of source books and shit. And then, um, and then you know how they got me? They got me with that fucking uh, Victorian Age Mage um, Indiegogo. I was like, fuck, oh, that's so cool. They're actually going to flesh out this era. And so I went on there and I was like, Ugh. I mean, the thing is, is I haven't, really played me i haven't played mage since the 90s but i never stopped watching it like i had a complete collection of revised edition mage and then um our friend of the show joseph aleo he does uh mage the podcast and i listen to mage the podcast like fairly regularly despite the fact that i don't play the game just because i like to know what's going on in that game and so i was like you sons of bitches you fucking got me I gotta have the core book to run the Victorian game, even though it doesn't come out till July of 2023. So I fucking I, this is literally the gamer logic I went through. I was like, well, I got my seventy-five dollars for Victorian Mage, and if I just spend another two hundred and fifty dollars, then I'll have everything. So I just bought everything. I just bought it all for for twentieth. Uh, and this game is so fucking good. This is by far the best of the twentieth anniversary editions. It is a complete edition, all on its own. It's not just a list of powers. It's not just a list of references to other books. It's 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 a completely new edition of Mage that brings the storyline and brings the concepts up to about 2014 when it was written. I cannot recommend this game highly enough. It's published by Drive Through, so the binding has already broken. Okay, it's a hundred dollar book, and the binding's gonna break basically immediately. Hashtag drive-through sucks 
But you gotta buy this book. This is such a great fucking game. I can't wait to get to the table. Richard, I think, might be playing in my game. We'll see. We'll see. I'm really hoping so. Really hoping I'm ver- so. I'm but, very you know. excited about the idea of this. So I'm, yeah. I'm gonna see what I can uh, get things working in that direction. So, <laughs> uh, And I also am gonna get things working in that direction. So that's what, that's where my, my mind is at in the black hole. Mage the Ascension has been, has been eating up my dreams. Richard, what do you got going on, bro? Man... And this is why I got to get things working, because I got a lot of shit going on. So I'm not only uh, so we finished Eternal Lies, right? This is how long it's been. It's been like a month and a half. We finished Eternal Lies, which Paul has said he'd like to do a, 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 you know, a debrief, a a recap, have a conversation about that, whether we pull him on to a regular show here in the next little bit, like next month or whatever, or uh, just have like a little bonus content where he and I and maybe a couple other people sit down and just kind of hash out what's uh, what happened in the campaign and what uh, what our feelings about Eternal Lies ended up being. So be on the lookout for maybe some of that if we can squeeze into our tight, tight schedule. Oh, I hope you I hope we're able to find the room for that because that sounds amazing. Go ahead. I th- sorry. I, th- I think we do. Uh, and then, so after that was over, uh, Nolan stepped up and we're now playing 13th age. Uh, we're pay- pl- it's a short mini, mini campaign, three, four five episodes, whatever. We'll see where that goes. But I have, of course, because I didn't really want to think about it too hard. I went with my first character idea, which is my one unique thing for my barbarian is he has a. A, a replacement arm that is fueled by rage. So I've basically made a cyberpunk character in 13th age. I'm if nothing, if not consistent with my, uh, <laughs> is it a cyberpunk character or is it a steampunk character? Or is it no, no, it's character? not a steampunk character. Cause I'm is not carrying a, a giant character? boiler on my back. Like <laughs> it's just fueled by my emotion. So like is it rage punk, is this the rage, beginning of the, ra- the oh, rage punk dash punk, the, the continuous ever vescent ever, ever continuing con- conversation on our discord of why does everything have to have dash punk at the end? Dash punk. Dash punk. Dash punk. And then there's now now they were talking about punk punk and punk 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 punk. And I was gonna do punk uh uh by by four and say that how all all the other previous punk punk punks were were selling out and were not uh uh really giving anything. Speaking of punks, I did get a copy of my my copy of Tomb Punk in. Uh, Alan Alan Barr wrote it as like he literally said I had to get this out of my head it's not good or tested I just had to get this out of my head so like uh, I think it's more it's better than he gives it credit for so uh, and he he, somebody else published it Outland Entertainment published it so it's not a yeah so uh, and that was my light hitting the ground Uh, fun times uh, and then uh, I also uh, started with some other some of my college friends another online game where I'm playing Eberron uh, on Fridays. Wow! Which version? The newest version, Fifth Ed. The new wow. the new new version Eberron. of Eberron. Yeah. So I'm I'm playing an alchemist in Eberron right now, and we're 
We've got uh, a mission from a wizard, and we're off wandering through the mountains and got attacked by wolves. So, <laughs> oh man, I have a real soft spot for Eberron. I feel like Eberron got a real raw deal with the changeover from three point five into just other other stuff. I think, oh man, I love fucking, I love me some fucking Eberron, bro. Anyway, yeah, yeah. enough of that. Yeah, and, so, and it's been really, it's been fun so far. We're we're just kind of getting some short sessions on Fridays uh, going for that. So, fucking cool, dude! I can't wait to hear more about that. And then, all right, one, cool. I got oh, one, I, I'm, I, I got one more thing I have to talk turn, about. Turn into a regular Ashley over here, bro. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's been, a, I said it's, it's been a month and a half since I've been to the black hole. It's, it's, uh, it's important for me to testify, you know, and. Uh, Wolfmungus ran a Soulbound uh, game uh, for uh, one shot, and I got to play in it. Uh, while I am not an uh, Age of Sigmar stan, as uh, everyone seems to be uh, that is anywhere near it, uh, I thought it was pretty fun. I thought it was a pretty good game. Uh, Wolf Wolfmungus did a great job uh, GMing for something that seemed to be a very nebulous uh written adventure that he was running so uh uh it it reminded me a lot of kind of exalted without kind of the bad pretense like there was definitely like you could you know you could feel like describing things in much more over the top method because a lot of what you were doing <laughs> as characters a lot of your moves and stuff were bigger in nature than you get from like say a D D. so like i feel like if you wanted more of that like power fantasy thing that D D does okay not great until you get to higher levels i think soulbound might be your game so cool so. cool great all right well then on to the topic at hand so today we have come together to talk about kind of exactly what spencer was sort of introducing as an idea uh, which is that um, there's like an urge kind of in the RPG space to um, it, it's 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 a nerdish urge. Let's just put that out there. It's a, it's a nerdish urge and we're nerds. So can't really hate ourselves too much for doing it. But it's it's kind of like the old music nerd thing where we got to start putting things into their tracks. We got to start sorting. Right. Like genus order phylum. What is this game? Um, and we've heard a bunch of different words used to describe these ideas over the last few years. One of the words that's really caught on in the world is, um, OSR, which means old school role playing. And, uh, there's like a, now there's like this whole body of work that has generated behind OSR over the past 10 years and a whole kind of cast of characters, um, whose political views have kind of come in and out of that OSR space. Um, then we also have, sort of what has been presented to us as the contra to OSR, which is the story game or the narrative game. And um, even then the story game and the nebu the narrative game are like very nebulous concepts. Um, so like, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the writers of the original white wolf games would say, Oh, of course our, our games are story games. They were designed to be story games. Yet, what makes what makes them not story games? I think there's plenty of people who play story games who would say that the old White World Darkness games are not story games. They're trad games. So who who is the one who gets to say what these games are? Um, but but these two cultures uh, of the OSR game and of the narrative game have been kind of like there, there was this kind of fake idea I think for a long time that they were somehow opposed. They were these mutually opposed schools. 
But the deeper we get into both experiences, I think the more we're realizing that they're really almost the same. It's just that they have different approaches to the same problems. So we wanted to kind of talk about that. We wanted to kind of explore some of these ideas. So uh, I'll yield the floor. Uh, who wants to kind of get started on breaking some of that open? I think, hey, Spencer, how about you? What, what, what are some of your, what, you got some hot takes on this, man? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I do. <laughs> so I, I, I think that, you know, for one, like you nailed, the, the definition's really kind of impossible to nail down. Everyone's going to give you a different answer. Um, I think there's some things that everyone can agree on that games like, you know, Fiasco, for example, like that, everyone's going to agree that's a story game, you know, th- things like that. Um, but, you know, I, I would I would say that you kind of have to bring it down to uh, the central gameplay loop, which is more of a concept that's better defined in video games than in tabletop games. But I think that if you look close enough, most most games in tabletop have a central gameplay loop as well. You know, traditional, you know, traditional D&D type games, it's, you know, you're you're looking for a quest. Once you have that quest, it's going to take you to a location where you're going to go systematically through areas doing a certain, uh, you know, a certain procedure. It depends on the game, whether that is looking for hidden things, whether that's fighting enemies, you know, that gameplay loop differs a little bit from each game. I would think I, I, I would posit that the the line where you know you have osr or you know traditional games versus a story game would be if that gameplay loop is story driven or mechanics driven um because you know even when you go to the the furthest reaches of rules light i think that still makes sense like even in a game like uh like Morkborg, for example where if you like got rid of all the fancy graphics there's like three pages of rules um, there's still going to be central gameplay loops that involve mechanics where you're rolling to do things and, and, and that sort of thing that are putting the narrative secondary to the mechanic loop, if that makes sense. You see, I hear this a lot. People often say this to me. And I, uh, my immediate retort is, well, what about PBTA? Like mm-hmm. PBTA basically says the, the moves snowball so mm-hmm. you actually can't the, the 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 idea of the story is that the mechanic generates the story, right? That the the, the you're, where you come in on that like full success, partial success, uh, success with consequence kind of thing, like uh, that that is like in this intrinsic mover of the of the narrative itself. Uh, yet I don't think anybody in um, the PBTA space would suggest that the PP, PBTA games are not story games. I think I think a lot of people actually hold them up as being sort of good, good or bad, kind of like the epicenter of what's going on with story games right now. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. I think uh, I think Powered by the Apocalypse is kind of the the mecca of all of that, uh, at least currently. Um, and I, I would just say that you know, I, I think that in that case there is definitely a gameplay loop, and there are mechanics, but the mechanics are to facilitate the story, like you said, rather than to facilitate. Um, a, a challenge necessarily, or a it, it's a, it's a blurry line. I or, mean, or a, sim, a simulation. Of, it, it's like the line is almost weirdly like the simulation of what is happening in the moment versus the simulation of a genre of story, sure. right? So like PBTA, a lot of them have diverged into this like very much like a simulation of a genre of story where OSR and a lot of traditional games are very much about a simulation of the world 
And then that hopefully there is a emergent, uh, I'm getting a face from Pendence. <laughs> He's like, hmm, a simulation of uh, action that will hopefully generate uh, disconnected events that will become a story in your mind. That, that a lot of times that, that like, that's what happens in traditional games is it's almost like <laughs> there's these disconnected events that we will then put a story around. <laughs> well, I mean, we're talking about like emergent storylines versus uh, planned storylines, essentially. And I think that like emergent storytelling, this is one of the things where I, I look at the, the story game world and I look at the OSR world and I'm like, this is the same world. You guys just have two different approaches because an OSR designer will tell you that like uh, it's not about character classes. It's not about powers. It's not about crazy backstories. It's about going out and doing stuff, and then the storyline is an emergent narrative. But then you go over to your PBTA GM, and they will tell you, oh, don't plan too much. Take some notes, because people are going to start making moves, and then that is going to determine the nature of the story going forward. right? And I'm like, well, isn't that the same thing? I mean, aren't these both the same thing? Like, how How is it that they are considered to be on opposite ends of a spectrum and maybe if they're not even on opposite ends of a spectrum they're at least uh, occupying different portions of like the same matrix yeah, yeah. So, oh sorry um, go ahead so uh i i i have to admit that i had a misconception about osr uh until starting to think about the subject for this podcast and what i'm hearing from everybody kind of uh confirms that is that when I think OSR, when I thought OSR for like the past few years, listening to Richie and uh, and everybody talk about it, I was thinking in terms of mechanics, like how crunchy is it? Um, because my experiences with early D and D, like Second Edition, very crunchy and and numbers based. But when I started to look at the definition from Wikipedia of what OSR is, uh, the definition is that uh, the general ethos of OSR style plays emphasizes spontaneous rulings from the referee over set rules found in the book. And um, kind of after doing some digging into that, the very definition of OSR seems to be more of a freeform storytelling format over, say, uh, with like advanced D&D, all the, the modules that came out that shoehorn you onto a, a set of rails that you're, you're walking down, that you have decisions to make and some random in, like uh, outcomes from rolling dice. But for the most part, the story is there and you're just hitting the beats in the story as written. Um, and so thinking back to like my earliest, earliest stuff, watching my sister prepare for her games, uh, creating maps, creating stories on the fly, and then session to session, creating that story. I never regarded that as an OSR style, but it's, it dovetails into that storytelling element where are we doing a creating story with the character's actions impacting the story or are we just walking through a story? Is this a reenactment of a story that, you know, if I put... Uh, um, Tomb of Annihilation on the table for 10 different groups, they're all going to get the same outcomes. It's all going to go the same way. Uh, whereas a different GM just making their own campaign is going to do it on their own. So, uh, like, going into this, I was like, OSR, ugh, no, I'm a storyteller. But I think we're all going to come out to the agreement that, yeah, they're this, they're the, there are a lot of similarities there. I, I think OSR is actually one of the more... I, I, think, I think OSR is a breath of fresh air in how liberating it is. And I think it's equally as liberating as when you sit down with your first story game and your first story game is like, take all those dumb rule books and like throw them out the window. 
and your OSR book will basically say the same thing, which is that the, here's here's the core roles, and you really should. Usually, you'll hear this in an OSR book. They'll say you really shouldn't use these roles too much. That's not universal, you know. And I think that there's some room for interpretation. Uh, my friend Brinton, patron of the show, was actually kind of throwing throwing that one at me. Uh, he was pointing out like how Morg Borg can actually. Um, take anything and turn it into a skill check because it's uh, just a just, uh, difficulty difficulty class 12 skill check. So, for instance, if I'm like, run, you know, if I'm like having a rooftop chase scene, I can be like, okay, well, jumping from one roof to another is going to be uh, difficulty class 12 strength check, right? And now all of a sudden, I've almost kind of like, by making that ruling that we were ta- you were talking about, Daryl, I've like almost made Mork Borg like very kind of system heavy because now what you roll on that check is, uh, is, is really important. And it's a check you're only going to succeed on. If you have a zero modifier, which is very likely, uh, you're going to only succeed on that roll 40% of the time. So, um, like that kind of fucking sucks, <laughs> right? You're like, your, your, your character is about to like have some severe, like, uh, uh, spinal difficulties in just a second here. Um, <laughs> how, 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 how does, how does that influence? Like, how does the call for the role, influence osr story game or trad game this weird triangle that we find ourselves in so i i think i can i can get into that a little bit so i mean if you look at traditional games which would be like you know 5e 3.5 i think i think i wouldn't count four <laughs> in that group necessarily but, um, four is his own spicy. weird thing <laughs> yeah exactly um i i think that in traditional games generally they try to provide rules for basically any action it, it's all it is rules over rulings as opposed to osr which is rulings over rules it's it's trying to create a lot more structure um so i mean in in that case there, you know, when you're trying to jump from roof to roof, there's a mechanic, and it'll tell you what that mechanic is, and there's a clear progression and flow there. And I, I think that when you get into OSR, it's a lot more up to the to the ref. It's really up to what they want to do with the game, and that's one thing that makes me love love those types of games more. Is it can be as as heavy or light on the rules as you want it to be, depending on the way you do things. Like as a ref, I tend towards. Um, somewhat more of a narrative perspective which which is if it's reasonable for you to do it i think you should succeed you know like if if, if you are trying to make a, a a jump from one roof to another that the average person could make great i'm not going to make you roll on that you know you should be able to do that you're i'm going to assume that you're somewhat competent um but another gm might might do what you were saying if they're running more we're going to make you run a, a, a dc 12 <laughs> check on that and i mean what we're kind of coming to here is that you're not just looking at what the system is. You're looking at the specific person running it. And, you know, you can talk about what the what the designer's intent was, but that only goes so far. Um, yeah, I think I think designer's intent is not a um, uh, 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 motivation that we should overlook. Yeah. But I think also there is a concept that we should be looking at, which is the culture that surrounds the game. You know, I mean, in early iterations of the white wolf stuff which ends up being very trad games and they meet your definition spencer of trad games in that there are very specific rules outlined for very specific things in the white in the white wolf games they were called dramatic systems and then i think that 
we really ended up hitting peak trad game in the 3.5 era. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know if I necessarily agree that four isn't a trad game, but like, I think I think that the if if you were like to go into the platonic realms where like a trad game li- it lives, and you were to see it with your third eye, it would look a lot like 3.5. Yeah. Because I mean, this this was like I mean this. Did you ever try to grapple anything? Which is like, should, I mean, like, if you're, if you're ever, if you're ever, you ever like, try to grapple anything in any D and D, jeez. Yeah, but it was notoriously, it was notoriously difficult in three point five, and swimming itself was also like bizarrely difficult. It had like, it, I mean, there were just like columns of descriptions about like what the process was requiring multiple die rolls and like the, an understanding of like the flow of the river and like, you know. Who is grappling who and all this fuck? I mean, heaven forbid if you were trying to grapple someone in a river, you were completely <laughs> fucked. You'd be there all night. You I'm going to write saying? a game all about grappling people in rivers now. Anyways, well, I mean, did you see on our Discord? Our friend Petrie posted up a game called uh, Grapple, the role playing. Yeah, game. and uh, I mean, and that's uh, that, he's he's a designer and he designs little one page games. And uh, I mean, to me, I thought that was hilarious because there were many instances of playing those old 3.0, 3. 3.5 uh, uh, D20 OGL games where it just really did seem like it came down to like, all right, well, I guess we're going to grapple. You guys can all go get pizza and stuff. I'm going to sit here and grapple a crocodile. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I think, I think you're right. Those, those, those specific interactions do end up defining like what the trad game is, but what are the cultures that spell out because, because and this is kind of like the beginning of my point, which is like very nearly lost. Like White Wolf would say right in the beginning, like you just ignore all this shit. It's really more about the story. Just ignore all this shit. And so there was, there was always this culture that was like at war with itself, even inside the White Wolf games. Of, do I ignore this shit or do I make you roll a bunch of dice? You know what I'm saying? And then, yeah, go ahead, please, please react to me. Well, uh, Richard, you want to go? Yeah. Well, (laughs) anyway, yeah. uh, Basically, I think what. I kind of think we need a different dichotomy here than 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 OSR and story and trad. But I think trad is still <laughs> okay. So I'm, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna reclass do some reclassification. And I'm gonna explain why. So hold on oh. a second. Uh, all right, all right. You realize I'm gonna let you think for a second and do your reclassification. We're we're in the forge right now, right? Oh you God! Like, all right, sorry. Are, are we, I apologize, everyone. I'll back the fuck off. All right. Are we rebuilding the forge? No, no, no. I just want to. Simulation is the narrative. No, no, no. I I just want to say that it's really what I will will what I would deem in most art forms the modern movement. Okay, OSR. And story is a modern movement where so you had these initial games that were like the early, you know, call it prehistory bronze era games, right, which had a lot of freedom to them, but they were also somewhat difficult to fathom in the high guy Gaxian that a lot of them were written in. So there's a lot of freedom there but as think time went on they things everyone's like oh we need to be more and more simulationist or more and more traditional i think as things go on and then white wolf comes along and they kind of say yeah we're we're going to give you all the simulation stuff you're used to but we're also going to tell you to ignore <laughs> it if it is convenient for your story and to me that is where the branch of mo- what i will call modern games which is OSR and story games. 
OSR does this with the fact that like the GM is the ruler of that domain, right? They, they say what happens and when you roll a thing. Okay. This is the, the branch that we'll call OSR where in story games, uh, depending on your table, uh, you can get into, uh, the, everybody has some control over the story. They're very much, we, we changed the name of our story game channel to narrative control because I think that's a much better description of what story games are is who has narrative control and everyone around the table has much more narrative control in what we would call story games versus OSR where you don't, players don't have a lot of story, story narrative control only over themselves. They can't tell you that there's going to be a goblin behind that door, you know, and that, you know, that's that, that would be my reclassification of this, of this idea. And so, it would get you kind of moving. Go ahead. That's why I think you're right about OSR and story games being the same coin. It's that's just a part of a branch. And then these, th- that branch kind of forked into two styles. You're, you're kind of telling us that we need to take a step back and look at it. Not, we, we, not like a, like a music genre, the way that music genres give birth to other music genres. And then you can kind of trace them back through these trees, but we almost need to look at it more like a comic books, the way that comic book historians have, have, have kind of created these eras in which comic books, uh, comic book creativity took on certain themes and that they have like more in common with each other inside of those themes, even if they belong to radically disparate uh, companies um, than they did with comics of previous eras. So like we have like golden age, silver age comics, and then I guess we're calling them like steel age or something now. I, I, don't, mm. I don't know what they're calling the the movie the age, stuff. the movie age, the maximalist, <laughs> the maximalist image with the pockets and stuff. Uh, age. I don't know what that's called. Um, the nineties. So, that's what that's so called. <laughs> you, you would kind of like to go and do sort of a time based analyst a- analysis, which I'm to be totally honest. I think that's pretty good. I think that's a lot better than what we've been doing, which is trying to parse into these uh, subgenres. And I think that actually would serve our vocabulary for talking about games a lot better than um, some of the words that we have chosen to use already. Daryl, I feel like you want to say something and you haven't gotten a chance to say anything. Go ahead. So Richie's kind of got my brain going here on, on how and why we classify games. And he said something that, that kind of pinged my brain that I think we're trying to classify game systems as OSR versus story versus traditional. But I can say that uh, because I, I run 50-50 between conventions and my home, that my GM style and the style of me and my groups changes depending on what my object is. So if I'm running at a convention, I'm running rules as written, trying to stick to the books because I'm demoing a product and people who like the game are likely to go out and play it themselves and buy the books. So if I change a rule, if I change a ruling, if I don't look up the speed of a 1997 Toyota Land Cruiser and tell them the exact uh, (laughs) gallons of gas in the tank and things like that, you know, going to a GURPS table um, and they find out that that's part of it, they're going to be missing out on that part of the experience. But in my home game, it's very much more the storytelling narrative style where it's like, okay, what rules are serving my story? What rules are not? And it, it comes down to me as the GM choosing that style with the table and with the players. So I think that I, what you were saying about White Wolf kind of giving us permission to throw the rules out was a good, uh, you know, we, we with original Dungeons and Dragons were given an idea of what storytelling is. And then 
White Wolf gave us permission to, to deviate from those rules as written, and it gave us different styles. But thinking of it from that perspective, any game can fit into either category depending on how you want to play it. So, well, I mean, that kind of goes back to my, my question about culture, because while White Wolf did give you the permission to throw out those rules, uh, there were a lot of people who, who, who didn't, and then those groups started compounding. And by the time you get to... The, the, those same warnings are in the front of any game's workshop game. And then all the 3.5 books, where they're like, if you don't like this rule, just don't use it. Just use the rules you want to use. But, like, those games were, like, finely tuned machines. If you just start reaching in with your pliers and pulling out sprockets and throwing them over your shoulder, then everything changes. You know, I mean... It's the same thing as kind of like the if you're playing cyberpunk and you're just like, eh, we're going to have net runners. We're not going to have net runners. Totally different game. Totally different yeah. game by making one choice. So, um, like, what are the cultures in uh, gaming that create these incentives? Go ahead, Spencer. I'm sorry. Well, and that, this is kind of this is what I was I, I was thinking of a few minutes ago. Um, I, I think that that's kind of what it boils down to is that it's less about the differences between the systems themselves and the rules it's more about the culture that that game comes out of and that rule system comes out of and the culture it builds not just what the creator intended but with the culture that builds around it and evolves um this is generalizations but in general i think that osr games tend to be about the challenge about the discovery and less about you know creating something or um, for lack of a better word, doing cool things. The kind of the do, doing cool things crowd tends to more the traditional games, um, kind of the more power fantasy type games. And on on the, the narrative, the story game side, it's about creating something. Most people, I think, would say that they're looking to uh, experience interesting situations. They're looking to, to, to build characters. They're looking to... Um, have social interactions. Not to say that doesn't happen in other games, but I think that the biggest difference is going to be the outcome that people are looking for in those games. What are you trying to achieve? And there's exceptions to this, but I think that most more serious narrative games, at least mo more serious story games, um, generally you tend to see things like somewhat some level of plot armor. Um, it's really hard to 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 have character death. Um, or at the very least, it's hard to have it if you don't want it to happen. A lot of the time, it'll give, it'll make it narrative in the way that if that's what you're aiming for, that's the, what you're driving towards, it can happen. Um, like, uh, I think, like, Monster Hearts is a great example. You can die, but you have to decide that you're really willing to do that. You know, you have to say, this is what I want for the narrative. I want to, you know, go and do this selfless act that's probably going to end up killing me. Things like that. When... In more of an OSR game, there is more of a sense of cause and effect and somewhat realistic, depending on the game, consequences to actions and threat of injury and death. So uh, I know that you're running a LTFP hack. And uh, since we're talking about culture and we're kind of talking about this idea of consequence... Uh, James Ragey is known for his uh, his his essay that kind of set the world of OSR ablaze and really, on some levels, I think started started this battle, this fight about about what OSR means. And the title of his article is "I Hate Fun." Um, wh what's your take on that? Is does is OSR antithetical to fun? Like, no. What? 
what does what what does that what does that mean within the culture of OSR? Well, I think that it it means that different people have fun different ways. I think that, and and I would say also that they're not necessarily mutually mutually exclusive. So when I'm playing a game, I I can have fun through narrative games, and I do when I when I play them. But generally, when I'm looking to have fun in a game, I'm looking for something that I feel challenged by. I'm looking for something where when I hit a level, you know, I level up to level two for my brand new character. I, I feel that I really achieved something because there was a very real chance that I didn't get there. Um, if I didn't play smart, I didn't do the right things. Um, I think that's something. I, I, I think I think Raji takes it a little too far, I, I, as he does with with some things. I well, think that a he's lot of got things, a very yeah. set idea of what he of what he thinks it should be, and I think he's. I think the tone that he's trying to hit is a, a cool tone. I think that that tone works for a lot of people. Um, you know, whenever I run LOTFP, for example, I think I probably have a much lower uh, character death rate than most. Um, I'm a little bit more forgiving about it because I think that it needs to be a balance. It's not any fun just grinding your players into the dirt. Most people don't enjoy that. Well, I, I think one of the things that you're saying is that that, that you're you're kind of alluding to the, this idea that story games lack challenge to the player, and I think that that is somewhat i mean it it very much you know it depends on the player and whether or not you're going to get um any challenge you get to choose your challenge at for your character and i often really enjoy putting my characters through the most terrible parts of a story right and and this is something that i i think a lot of people don't see very often that why would you choose to kill your character? This is this is one of these key choices, questions, right? And and I think it's one of the most interesting things about story games is choosing to kill your character off, and and maybe in the, uh, uh, not the perfect story moment, but in this moment that will become the perfect story moment because of after the aftermath. So. I, I, I think both ki- both cl- uh, kinds of, of, of games we're talking about in the, in this dichotomy um, can offer that challenge to you. And like 10 candles is an amazingly challenging game, like crazy amounts of challenge to that game, but it's an emotional challenge and not a, uh, 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 riddles and uh, puzzles kind of challenge. It is a b- more about these this uh, emotional health and trying to figure out like issues of these characters rather than like can I figure out how to not die while walking down a hallway from a trap? Right. It's a perfectly that's a perfectly valid kind of challenge and it's very interesting to face. But I think that 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 uh, not having the challenge um, uh, is is one of these mistakes that I think as you grow playing these story games, you'll start to realize, oh, I need to like really bring up the terrible things for my character. Like I <laughs> somewhat like turn the screws on the character is the most interesting part of the story. So like I need to start bringing that to the forefront. So I, I think it's there. It's just it's a different it's a thing you have to kind of get into further. And it's, it's the same thing with OSR. You have to learn more and more about how to deal with an OSR situation. And it's more about the player knowledge, 
knowing how to deal with things and not necessarily the characters being, you know, at least that's what I've been told is a lot of people talk about like, oh, I, I am my brain is being challenged and not with the meta knowledge, only the knowledge my character has. But I have got this meta knowledge of all this OSR usage, all this play. I've, I'm going to I have to use all that to survive, my, get my character to survive, to get it to level two. So. Yeah, no, I, I totally I totally hear that. And I, I think that you're right. I think that I tend to have a similar play style when I play story games as well. I'm not looking to win. I'm looking to create the most interesting scenario, which a lot of cases isn't good for my character. Um, I What I would just argue, though, is I don't think that most people play that way. And I, I think that generally, which I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, people can create the fun the way they want to want to play it. But I think that generally, if you walk in, you know, to 10 story games, probably eight or nine of them, there's not really much, much threat of failure because the players aren't creating that sort of a narrative. Um, so I think that totally depends on the player. I think I think that you're right. This is really reminding me of uh, a discussion I had with John Wick um, many, many years ago. Uh, he was developing a system um, around the idea that failure is what provides story and so <clears throat> the difference between uh, a couple of different types of systems would be whether or not failure is a choice or whether it's thrust upon you. Did the system cause you to fail? Uh, like Dark Heresy? Um, I've never gone back to that game because the system was brutal and unforgiving. Uh, Wait, you, you don't like 15% chance of doing anything? Not when I've been training my entire life with my <laughs> laser pistol and that I can't shoot anything with at five feet. No. No, I don't like playing a stormtrooper. Uh, but I, I don't mean, like playing a fascist, so there's that too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, teaching players to appreciate failure and embrace failure was one of the things that I loved about the PBTA systems and running them was, okay, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of 50-50 in a lot of cases, but when you fail, you get to decide what that looks like and trying to, to carrot and stick players into, okay, you tell me how you fail and we'll make it interesting. Um, I think that, that, Spencer, you've got some points that a lot of people don't embrace that and they're like, oh, I fail by a small margin and accidentally like lose my sword a foot away from me. I'll just have to pick it up next round. Versus I throw my sword, it embeds itself in the wall ten feet away next to the king's head and now I look like an idiot and I've embarrassed everybody. One of those generates story, the other generates an extra round of combat. So, um, yeah, choosing to fail, that that making failure interesting and letting players know that it's okay to choose to fail, I think is a good hallmark of both storytelling and OSR. Um, but keeping in mind that the system should not make that decision for you, in my experience. Uh, like, I, I played a game of Cyberpunk, the last Cyberpunk game I was in. Uh, it's, again, a brutal system, and... Turned a corner, got shot in the face, character dead. And it was one of those things that should have happened. And then we kind of retconned it at the last minute and it became, well, but we can kind of make it work where you're not totally dead. You're just mostly dead. And it's like, eh, that got a little weird too. So letting the GM, the story, kill players to Richie's point versus letting the rules just brutalize players to death. Uh, kind of changes the way that you think about story and OSR, I think. Well, and I, I think that there is in some, with, with, with some systems and, and some GMs uh, in the OSR, there is 
an over-reliance on, fa- on, on forcing the players to fail in one, one scenario or another. I think I, I tend a little bit to, towards the camp of, in any game, if the players fail, there should be a reason why. They should have not asked the right questions. They should have not been being care- as careful as they should have been. Things like that. I, I personally hate the idea of somebody, you know, losing their character that they've spent, you know, hundreds of hours with unless they actually made a mistake. They did something they shouldn't have done. And it could just be that that mistake is going into combat with a clearly, you know, more powerful foe than they are or something like that. Like that's a, that's still a failure, you know, failure to ask the right questions before you got into combat, you know, stuff like that. I don't think. I don't again like you know with with the culture I don't think everyone everyone is that careful though I think that there's an over tendency to just be difficult for the sake of difficulty I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up because um, I was once running a trad game and uh, it was a very very trad game it was a very it was a 3.5 trad game the most tradie of trad games and um, I would have uh, encounters of different levels um, all over the map Right, and then if you encounter, if you walked into the, this is before I had ever even heard the words "old school renaissance." It was a long time ago. I was a young man and making a lot of mistakes as a GM. I don't think that this was one of them. I had a lot of different encounters that were different levels all over the map. And if you walked into one and you were kind of exploring it, then you were supposed to kind of like have you know use your character's eyeballs to assess the situation, right? And so these characters walked into a room and then they decided to you know do the thing that characters do. And uh, I was like, oh, okay, uh, this beholder or whatever it is just kills you. It kills you all. Like, Here I am. I'm rolling the dice. Look, you're all fucking dead, right? And then afterwards, I was, um, I was taken aside by one of the players, and he was angry at me. He was like, why would you put my character in that situation? And I was like, what do you mean, dude? Like, It's like a, it's like a whole world. It's not like when you're first level, you're just going to walk around, and you're only ever going to meet skeletons and fucking wolves, bro. You're gonna, there's like, like The beholders are still there. It's not like you don't ever meet a beholder before you fucking become like the level necessary to kill beholder and he goes he goes i should never encounter anything that my character can't defeat if i if i don't have the potential Mm. to defeat Mm. that thing i should never encounter it and i was just like i mean i was gobsmacked i was gobsmacked it never occurred to me that that was even uh that was even an idea i came from a vampire background so at that point the idea of like you being like a fucking you know neonate who just stumbles into like an antediluvian fucking chamber or whatever that was just considered to be part of the game but again the culture that this guy came from which was heavily influenced by video games i have to point out um in his world it was unfair and i had pulled this like dirty mean trick on him and i had killed his character because there should have been like a secret button somewhere in the world to let him you know if you push the button then a rock fell on the beholder and he wins or something you see what i'm saying how do you how do you guys respond to that i i think that unfortunately if you pulled the majority of 5e players and and even you know earlier if you pulled the majority of 3.5 players and probably even fourth edition but again outlier um, I think the majority of people that play those systems would probably agree with that guy. <laughs> yeah, that boggles me. And that's to me one of the things that really drew me back into the fucking OSR. Because I was like, fuck yeah, man. Like, like, uh, say we're playing Wolfurp or some shit, right? Warhammer Fancy Roleplay. And I'm a potato farmer and you're a dirt farmer and you're a rat puncher and you're a jester. And we're walking through the woods and we see a beast man. Right, and he's like standing there wearing his like leather armor, and he's like, 
bronzed and oily. <laughs> run, run, run immediately. Like, run right now. Yeah. <laughs> you guys might consider running. You guys might consider this as an opportunity to run. Um, but uh, this is not what you would call a balanced encounter for your characters. You, and, and your success is, n- is neither a matter of good die rolls or, um, or like clever role playing. It's like you are fucked if you choose to interact with this, with this thing. And that is one of the things that I kind of like about, about the OSR. But I do feel like the OSR has brought that idea back, but it was dormant for so long that a lot of people don't understand how to interact with it. They've lost the skill set of interacting with it in that way. And they now respond to that in this in this like like they're being punished like they're being punished, and that and that creates this culture war between people who say OSR is for hard men, and people who play story games are soft. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. What do you guys so, say? So the, the the video game analogy, talking about somebody who comes from video game. I cut my teeth on Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo. I introduced my kids to the Nintendo era, original NES, and they would play every game for approximately 15 seconds, and then they would throw it and get the next one and try it, and they couldn't handle it. They're like, this is hard. And I'm like, it is hard and unforgiving, man. We're Nintendo era. So talking about that kind of challenge, um, the idea that you shouldn't be challenged is challenging to me, because <laughs> literally, 5th edition has challenge ratings so right. that you can set it up theoretically and say, okay, this is an appropriate challenge for this group, for this many of uh, this level of player. Uh, it gives you that mechanic to allow you to do that. But from my perspective and my, my background with, with the highly narrative games and whatnot, uh, there's always another way around it. You know, you're talking about push the button that makes the rock fall. I am not going to give my players a button to do that, but if they can if they can create some kind of situation to give themselves some kind of an advantage, that's what I'm in it for. And I'm not going to pull the punch. I'm not going to take the beholder away. I'm just going to say, you know, I you see it, what do you do next? And if it's run away, then it's run away, and if it's we have this really crafty plan based on our skill level and our our equipment, cool, let's try it. Uh, but I want that to be the player's choice. I just never want them to blindly walk into something terrible. Uh, and that's just my GM style, I think, is the clue by four. I'm going to give you three different opportunities to know what you're walking into before you get there so that you can come up with some kind of plan to handle it. The Beast Man is on the path, but you see him from a long ways away. Yeah. Uh, so. And I think one of those things that tra- what we'll call trad games have, has done and made it extraordinarily hard to kill characters. Like... You look at Cyberpunk, we were talking about last week, it's really hard to kill a character in Cyberpunk right now, which is just disgusting to me. Uh, It's extraordinarily (laughs) difficult to kill a character in 5th edition. Extraordinarily difficult to kill a character, unless they take like massive damage and there's some trad rule about that somewhere. But if you... It's bell curve. It's it's, bell curve. But you you have to pass all these death saves, Mm -hmm. right? You have a 50-50 death saves, and you have to fail it three times. The, yeah, this, yeah. the statistics on that is just ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's edge case if you die. Right. Mm-hmm. Most of the, a lot of these traditional games that kind of um, uh, steer towards the power fantasy side, which is, let's be honest, the majority of what's popular uh, in that style of gaming, it's really hard to kill a character. Like, it just is. 
And so that I think is one of the reasons that OSR feels so fresh when you first discover it uh, from a, uh, uh, fr- when you only have played D and D you're like, Oh shit, I can actually die here. I'm, I feel in danger. Like this, this adds to my level of immersion. Um, it's the same thing with a story game. Like, Oh, I've been complete control of everything. You know, if I want to be, if, if the, you know, we all collaboratively want who's in control, who's narrative control as incredibly refreshing. So, but you know, and that I just kind of keep, everybody keeps coming back to the word culture, like keep talking about culture. And this is one of those things where I think one of the reasons OSR turns, and I'm going to go into a little bit politics and role-playing it. It is the culture of our OSR has been somewhat recovering from a very kind of toxic uh, situation for a long time. And I'm, I'm glad that like Morkborg and there's a, there's a few other more modern OSR games that have kind of uh, tried to eschew because OSR, because it was like supposed to be old school, attracted a lot of people that were very much into an old school political uh, philosophies. And this is, this is what kind of turned off a lot of people to the OSR. I still get some of this from even some people that are like are hardcore role players. Like they don't know that there are games that aren't, uh, you know, whatever uh, the white supremacist OSR game that I'm not going to say the name of, but like, <laughs> you know, this, this and where, uh, you know, they, a lot of people call OS uh, story games, the hi- crunchy granola hippie bullshit. So like it's it's this weird like the cultures have kind of even though they're you know we play hard ass hardcore like really you know dark and frightening story games and we've also played kind of you know very somewhat hippie based OSR stuff like it's it's it, the perception of these communities has been somewhat what's fractured this idea <laughs> of what I am going to call modern gaming, <laughs> modern RPGs. So. And that's exactly why I, why, you know, what I said about earlier when I introed, you know, the bleakness is that that's why I don't use the OSR term. It's like, does it fit the definition? Sure. But I, I think there is a problem there. And I think that, you know, one of the issues is I'm a little biased here as somebody who's been in the OSR for, for almost a decade. Um, you know, I, I think that we have some of the best, uh, uh, the majority of the best creators in RPGs right now that, that write mostly in the OSR space. And, or at the very least, the ones that are the most creative and the most um, kind of pushing the envelope on what's happening. And I, I think that, you know, the more that is kept in that old OSR, the more that we stay in that old OSR headspace and encourage those types of viewpoints, um, the, the less likely we are to have new people come in from from traditional gaming spaces. Um, from my own experiences, I've almost everyone that I play with on a, a regular basis are people that I that I know in real life that I've pulled out of five e you know five e games or <laughs> or introduced to role playing entirely. That now they swear by it. They've went out and bought their own source books. Some of them are running their own games, and you know I know that these games are, are, are games that people will like, but there is this whole cultural um, cultural aspect to it that's really kind of hard to overcome, which is, which is again, like I said, why I don't love the OSR label anymore. And I've, 
this has been something I've really been thinking about the last probably six months, mostly. I mean, like, um, like Brendan said, you know, some of my, my handles are still Kelty OSR. You know, I've, I've really been ha coming to this conclusion very recently. But I think that, um, you know, going back to OSR versus story games, I think that we just need to embrace the the whole umbrella of indie games. You know, this is these are, these are indie games. There's different there's different types. There's different cultural goals here. There's different uh, there's different feels to the games and different levels of crunchiness. But they're all indie games. Well, one see, of see that's what okay hang hang on one second one second yeah. That, that's one of the things that uh, kind of boggles me because I actually, if I'm not mistaken, I had this conversation with my uh, role-playing mentor, uh, uh, Mark Diaz Truman, and he, and he, because I was throwing around the word indie game quite a lot, and he goes, he's like, yeah, but even the word indie game doesn't describe uh, uh, role-playing games. He goes, he goes, they're all indie games, right? And this, this was, this was uh, before, well, maybe it was right after. There's really two games out there that aren't indie games. There's there's uh, Dungeons and Dragons, which is owned by Hasbro, and then there's uh, fucking Vampire, which is owned by Modiphius, right? Or uh, the, the 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 video game company. All the rest of them are basically just like little fucking people sitting at home, writing stuff up, doing the equivalent of almost like self-publishing. I mean, they're not owned by big publishing houses. They're not owned by conglomerates. They're not owned by corporations. The The largest role-playing game companies are like small affairs compared to um, the, the, the movements of capital in America. Like, they're not even worth scooping up. Like, they're not even worth just buying so that you can buy their IPs. They've just always kind of been out there kind of treading water in the indie space. Uh, like Steve Jackson uh, Games. That's an indie game company. It's owned by Steve Jackson. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? I, yeah, I, I hear that, but I would say that it doesn't necessarily matter if we're saying that there's 5,000 indie games and two non if 90% of people in gaming are playing those those non-indie games. You know what I'm saying? It's I don't think it matters so much how many games are in each bucket, but how many players are in each bucket. Because I think once you pull somebody out of out of the the mainstream fifth edition D and D, you know, and into the indie space, that's when they start buying up a lot of things, experimenting with different types of rule sets, and obviously, I think that we need to develop some sort of vocabulary around the different mechanics and how they work. I think that you know descriptions and putting ourselves into boxes is helpful at times, especially when you're marketing your game. But I think that I think that narrative uh narrative based or story based games is a tricky one because ultimately if you have mechanics and you have a role playing game then you have both in just different levels and at that point you know we're really we're really talking about a slider bar here you know what's what's yeah. the reliance on mechanics what's the reliance on narrative um so is it i i i just i kind of my point is is that i think that distinction is a lot less important than the distinction of what's the tone of your game um is this is this a uh a high fantasy kind of you know heroes overcoming evil game is this a gritty 90s vampires and werewolves game is you know exactly what, what what is the feel of this richard i cut you off for a second no i was basically going to make the same point you were is like i was going to say that like yeah there's like 
I would have said like there's probably like four or five non-indie games, but because I think Asmodee counts as a large conglomerate now because they basically own mm-hmm. half the board game world and they own you know Fancy Flight and a bunch of other smaller uh, you know companies. But this is why Handers on Andrews McNeil. Right, yeah. you know, it's it's Overlight and uh, kids on not kids on bikes, but uh, tales not tales from the loop. Anyway, there's a bunch of 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 these games that are published by Asmodee through Fantasy Flight and a, a couple of Renegade games and a couple other things that are I we can still, cons- but the point stands that there's almost no way that's not indie games. Now there is this kind of aesthetic. That that kind of comes with the that the story game people kind of started trying, you know, they they're trying to claim the marketing that is the the indie uh, record space, you know, the the kind of small publishing, and, and OSR definitely has that as well. But they were that's just kind of one of those things that they picked, right? It's just a marketing term. Yeah, you know? and there's there's. There's something going on there. There's something that I think you have a real a real point there about the aesthetics because you get into the um, the indie space if we're gonna call it that, and you see a lot of very kind of cute looking stuff. There's this kind of indie cute look, right? And then there's the OSR, the OSR crowd that's like the chewing with your mouth full at the dinner table <laughs> aesthetic, right? And then uh, but, but black t-shirt but, with stains all over it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think that the the longer that these two conversations go on, the more we're going to see crossover between the two. I think we're going to start seeing cute OSR games, and I think we're going to start seeing real nasty uh, story games. At least I hope we start seeing nasty story games, because I love nasty shit. Well, you finish now, your Richard, game, and then we'll see it, so. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, uh, Richard, how are we doing on time, man? I got uh, we're, We question. should probably wrap up we're getting we're we're at our hour uh 10 or so so you know okay well i have one more question for the group and uh then we'll we'll wrap it up there so um a lot of what i kind of keep hearing is that osr means life is cheap and story games means life is precious what do we think about that I mean, it's and just if who. We, in, if we agree with that, what does it mean? I think it's just who is who's in control of your character's life, like we were talking about earlier. Like it's yes, uh, in a lot of. I mean, if you look at how uh, paper thin on mechanics a OSR character is, like you can blow them over with a feather. Like it's <laughs> it's it's very very easy to get rid of them. And to that extent, the dichotomy stands, but it really all depends on who's in, con- you know, the, the, uh, but I could have my story game. And I often, one of my favorite things about Fiasco is I often love killing my character in the first scene. Like, I just, I love to kill my character in the first scene. And that means that all scenes that I play from now on will be previous to that scene, uh, in Fiasco. So, like, it, it, this fucking guy. Look at you. I, regular, regular fucking memento. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, I take my clues from uh, you know a lot of uh, movies. So like I you know kill the characters first, show the end, and then let's find out how we got there. Um, and, and I think that's the. I think the perception is there for a reason, but I don't think it's. It just depends on in OSR who's the game master and what their what their uh, thoughts are on. Killing characters. 
<laughs> versus in story games where it's, oh, I get to choose when I'm going to kill my character. So, you know, I'm not going to kill my yeah. character because it's perfect. It's my little child. So, <laughs> Darryl, what do you got, bro? So uh, I think I can sum it up this way, that based on our conversation today on that, those two sides of the same coin, OSR is play stupid games, win stupid prizes, whereas storytelling <laughs> is play stupid games. Wee! <laughs> All right. Well, that's <laughs> solid. Can't argue with that. <laughs> what do you think, Spencer? What are your, th- what are your thoughts there? So I'm, I'm glad I'm going last in this because I think I've got a pretty long answer. Um, Lay it on me. What do you got? To, to just to start, I, I think that the dichotomy between life is fragile and life is precious, I don't think it's a dichotomy. I think that OSR games create tension and create emotional impact and investment in your character by how fragile they are. Um, there's a balance there. If you make them too fragile and, you, and, and you're, a, you're a really hard uh, DM and you're killing characters left and right, nobody's going to make that connection. Nobody's going to get invested in their character. But if you balance it right, the very fact they could die at any moment makes it so tense. And on the other hand, story games make you invested in your character and make you believe your character is valuable by letting you fully shape what happens to them in the world that they live in. So it's basically two alternate alternate versions. It's it's in getting invested by investing your energy into your character or your energy into your character's actions and making sure that they're that they're smart and they're engaging with the world in a way that is going to let them survive. Um I and I I want to just say, you know, something that I really tried to do in in the bleakness on Kickstarter now. Um, <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Always be plugging. <laughs> one, one thing I really tried to do in the bleakness was really dive into that kind of relationship, that kind of OSR version of that. Um, in my first drafts of the rules, I, I basically said that once you lose your character, that's that's it. You're, you're done with the bleakness. Um, I eventually I eventually realized that was a little rough. Um, you know, obviously, you don't want to go to a game session. And, you know, it's a three hour game session. You die 20 minutes in. It's like, well, now I'm sitting here doing nothing. Um, And kind of the um, I I came to a a balance. I'm not going to spoil it. But basically, the balance is, is that uh, to sum it up quickly, if the party dies, that's it. If the entire party dies, that's you never get to experience the bleakness again as as a player. Um, Basically, you know. You have the situation in in the game, and I, I think this is really kind of goes back to my overall philosophy on how to run games, is that um, success is is so far from guaranteed that you start to question what success is. What am I really trying to achieve here? Um, the stated goal eventually doesn't because isn't the goal anymore. The goal is to you know, whatever you want it to be, whatever comes in a, through emerging narratives is the goal to survive to the next village is the goal to answer this question that I've had. The, am I trying to figure out something about the world? Am I trying to figure out something about my character? Am I trying to, uh, you know, live up to some ideal through emerging, emerging storytelling, which is kind of a story game thing. You can really figure out what matters to you and create that emotional impact through the struggle of the world and the world not being your friend. 
Um, anyway, long way to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, thank you so much for being on the show, Spencer. We really appreciate you coming on today. And thank you for participating in this, uh, this conversation. Yeah. I don't know that we answered anything for anybody. <clears throat> I don't know that I answered anything for myself. But I certainly, um, I I certainly have some grist for the old the old mental mill. Um, Spencer, uh, before we go, just want to do one more real quick pitch for your game, and then tell everyone where they can find you, Kickstarter, Instagram, etc., if they're interested in following up in the uh, work that you do. Totally. So just to sum up, the bleakness is a indie rules light horror game it's got an extremely streamlined rule set that gets uh players in the game in five minutes um it uses statless classless and levelless mechanics um it's meant to be a short campaign so it's perfect as a change of pace you know you have your your long-term 5e game your long-term call of cthulhu game whatever you're running this is great if you want a break for you know two to five sessions to run something else um everything that it needs in the book it's uh it's got a, over a hundred encounters uh about four dungeons um it really is unique in the way that it's creating an atmospheric horror adventure um a little bit different than anyone else's um i think that a lot of horror games really fail at being horrific and actually scaring the players uh, because they, they don't create enough emotional impact. They're not hitting the right notes. And I think the bleakness does a really interesting job of that. So you can find it on Kickstarter right now. It's called The Bleakness. Um, I'll, uh, I'll make sure there's a link in the Discord and all that too, so you guys can find it there. Uh, I am on Facebook, Kelty OSR. I am on Instagram. Uh, your best bet there is to go to my publishing company, Twisted Image Publishing. Uh, and my website, twistedimagepublishing.com as well. And, and awesome. we'll, have, we'll have a link to the bleakness in the show notes. Uh, I also wanted to, because we're in plugs, right? I want to plug, uh, go to, you know, go into fullmetalrpg.com and then go to our merch store right here. Put, put some merch in your life. And then we have, you can show your old school, of course it's, not oh, there we go. You can show your old school uh, threads because we have the old school logo that's a very cool uh, English old English style font on. And of course, the only two choices for color are black and red. So you can get black with white on it or you can get red with white on it. Those are the only two choices. And they're really cool. Uh, show your old school, uh, 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 you know, style and get our old school, uh, an old school logo T-shirt. So, I love it. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Full Metal RPG. And thank you so much to our cultists and to our patrons and to anyone who's taken a listen. If this is your first episode or if you've been listening to us for a real long time, we really appreciate you. Please check out our Patreon, our Discord. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review on uh, iTunes. It does help people find us and give them the same uh, access to this uh, content that you got. All right. Well, thank you all once again. Have a good night. Good night. Good night.